The International IVF Initiative is a worldwide non-profit education project for the assisted reproductive technologies community, sharing scientific and practical knowledge for embryologists, reproductive scientists and anyone working in the ART community. Each episode will share an insight into the world of IVF, along with profiles of legends within the world of ART, latest news and wisdom from our community. Here's your host, Giles Palmer. Welcome to another Beyond the Webinar session, where we're going to be discussing a long overdue issue, which is all about sustainability in the art world, and to see just how climate conscious we are. You'll hear in the chat all about the common practice of single-use products, the amount of plastics which we use, and of course the overuse of packaging. This topic was hugely popular on social media, and we now join the panel to hear a little bit more. Well done. Look at that. Yeah. What questions? Fantastic. I know. Yeah. Unbelievable. 93 chats too. I mean, wow. Yeah, How many yeah. questions do you have? Well, I don't want to count them yet. It'd be fodder to look at later. And, and so many comments just in the chat as well, you know. Um, you know, ideas, suggestions, you know, it's the way forward. Um, this is Thomas in the middle for me. He's in the middle with the mask. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Hey, Thomas. One Great to see everybody. Fun. Good job. One of our founders, straight from IVF lab, polluting as we speak. There he is. <laughs> he's he's outgassing. Outgassing. <laughs> 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 uh, but, but he's technically been in charge of this whole operation since the first day. And uh, great to see you, Thomas. Um, see you too. Yeah. I just I just found it absolutely fascinating, um, you know, to find, I think, yeah, we do. We put a lot of emphasis on making the processes that we employ in our businesses um, sustainable um, and more, you know, environmentally friendly. But actually, it also comes down to the products that we use and the, and the choices that we make as individuals on those products. Um, so I think it's a lot of food for thought for companies like my, my own, you know, where we formulate um, products we look at where are the problems in, in the industry different industries where we could we can implement more green more sustainable technologies and then actually you know holding the manufacturers the the formulators the chemical companies to task to actually come up with these innovations you know um, because it's all very well us, us reducing our, our carbon footprint of our building, of our facilities and, you know, planting trees and, and offsetting our carbon emissions. But if we're making, we haven't got the tools in the lab to select materials that are more green or chemicals that are less harmful to the environment, then what, you know, it is, it's never going to end, is it? So I think it was just really interesting to see that perspective um, from a different industry to my own, you know, and, but it's the, co it's the common problems that we all face. And I think like Ricard, you know, the writing is on the wall for so many comments and suggestions. You know, even if a fraction of those questions or comments could be taken up, you know, that'd be amazing. I think there's a lot of feedback there from everybody. This forum and the topics fit in so well together. It was such a broad spectrum. It's one story, though. Yes. This, this presentation is definitely preaching to the converted. I mean, first of all, you have the filtration of... This is the topic. Oh, I don't even want to hear that. So we're not reaching any of those people. And these are people that are want to know about current things and are addressing change aggressively, right? And change wow. is really required to do this. So, I mean, to a great extent, this audience that we are talking to are more predisposed to actually do this than a lot right. of the other people that we need to reach in other ways. Yeah, we need, you're completely right about that. This was a, 
these were already converted and on track and thinking about them very happy about what we were saying saying but i think could that that also be a strength that we certainly in a business or in an industry that's not as mature as other industries are if we look at the uh, retail industry they've been scrutinized for much longer uh, and they've come further Uh, our industry hasn't worked with the whole value chain for that long so we need these different actors that think this is important to be able to show the business benefits and uh, the possibilities to actually act on it because i think i also love this uh, uh, this session uh, and all these different perspectives in it because that can also show how we can work together and actually make progress faster. Yeah. Attendance is a great list, by the way, a da- an initial database of people who are interested and could be leveraged within the community to help bring. So, I mean, this Juan, is a great Juan Moreno. Thing. Yeah, Juan Moreno. He obviously was very happy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, and, and there were others who were just coming back and back and back. So, I, 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 I I think that the point Chip is making is certainly true. However, there was this, I think it was an MD who asked, who said about uh, uh, Ricard's um, uh, um, talk, well, it's very good that this starts with the larger companies before we take it to the clinics. And and if we do that, we lose 10 years. Mm. And so I think I think it's important, you know, if you look at this very pragmatic, the very pragmatic presentations of Washington, and Danny, I mean, you look, you look at that. It, it's, it could, you could do it in two, three, four months. I mean, you could really yeah, make yeah. a huge difference. It's, you're not there yet, but it's a huge difference already. So I and think that will I mean, also put pressure on us if all the clinics are doing that. That yeah. will put more pressure on us to act faster as well. So. I think sure. we're onto something there as well. Sure. We need to do it simultaneously. This was like a special interest you know, kind of webinar. So you say about attendance, but I think it was exactly where it should have been because the people that were interested were there. Okay, there'll be people there that weren't and they just switch off. But if you look at the social media feeds uh, and the amount of engagement we got and and in fact, just, and just on LinkedIn and other social medias, which said, you know, like great idea, whether they turned up or not, there's this like groundswell. So these are the people to get things done, as you said. It's good that we're talking to big companies. Emma, you you in fact talk to big companies as well. And you see that it starts from the ground up, doesn't it? Because you know that your consumers are going to want this. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, um, everyone has a green agenda. Every company, every large company is at the forefront of and and shareholders are demanding for the, the big PLCs that they have, you know, an environmental policy and that they meet certain environmental objectives every year. Um, so it's absolutely at the forefront. I think it is it's like you said earlier uh, about the focus hasn't ever been on this industry. And you can see why, because, you know, there's been this need or this perceived need to use consumables, you know, consumable throwaway plastic because it's sterile, et cetera, et cetera. Mineral the illusion of sterility. Yes. Until we actually start to put pressure on, let's find alternatives that they are out there. There are um, ways of incorporating recyclable plastics into Eppendorf tubes and pipette tips. I think about 
COVID and the effect that has had on plastic consumption in labs, where the volume of pipette tips that are being used and thrown away and all of these petrochemical based materials, there has to be alternatives and there are. It's just putting the pressure on companies that develop them to actually invest in that type of technology and bring them to market and bring that to offer them to the people and everyone will take them. Um, Donnie had a really great point about it seems cleaner to take it out mm, of a plastic yeah, bag, yeah. right? And unzip the plastic bag. That whole waste stream is ridiculous. The, <laughs> the, the amount of stuff to seal it and keep it clean. Oh my goodness. Time. Yeah, you get the, oh, I can't remember what it was. It was something like 60 mil dishes, but you had a plastic bag within a plastic bag, yeah. which then had your 60 mil dishes. <laughs> I'm like, what? But then also maybe looking at, I know maybe having the dishes being biodegradable might be a bit harder to achieve but i mean the outer packaging that feels like that's something that could easily be biodegradable at least i don't know absolutely Um, a a wax coated paper so it's still impervious it's still sterile you know there's lots of alternatives out there with with all the comments that you got ricard and and a lot of them, and I saw it this week, you know, you get like container and you get paper and you get the protocols, you know, and as, as people said, with barcodes and QR codes, you know, you could just zip it along, you know, things which, you know, supermarkets have had for ages, you know, could just make it quicker to get things into the lab for a start without, you know, fumbling around with these polystyrene boxes. But, but I wonder if you could, and again, maybe this is a silly question, but, you know, with virtual life and it's a, and it's a global force and you have all the regulations in all the countries you have to do but let's just say that you didn't have them couldn't you do like a country version of you know of your like supplies and try and do them as eco-friendly as you could so you like you know could you sort of like imagine them going to a place where you didn't have to have this paperwork and you didn't and you didn't have to have so much stuff you know maybe you could look at that and call it like the green line i'm not saying I'm not saying that you should actually do it and product it, but you'll just see how much money you would, you know, you would save if you shaved off all the regulations. Yeah. If you didn't, if you didn't have to put the paperwork in, which, which gave you the specs, which gave you the batches, because it, it, you know, it would be on the barcodes, you know, sort of like the shadow company, if you like, which is working mm-hmm. like that. And maybe that's the business case uh, that we need to put forward to the legislators and other actors that demands all this extra material. And also for our own organizations, because we have lessons to learn as well, uh, where we need to reduce our plastics and unnecessary packaging and so forth. Yes, because you have patch- packaging designing system groups within your organization, right? hmm. and they're all doing it based on other aspects, not from a green perspective. I mean, I see this in my, in our company. Yeah. There's a designer that has, and it has to look beautiful and it has to have the, the logo correct. And it has to blah, 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 blah. And exactly. the, the, the layering up of it, but it has not been thought of in terms of being a durable, recyclable product in the same way that, for instance, sneaker boxes are. I mean, mm-hmm. they're ingeniously made. So out of a single sheet, right? That's die cut and put together. So they're quite durable and work, but they're, a single sheet you know mm. and they're they're more efficiently done than they were done 10 years ago by far yeah and i think that is a good example also from the perspective that we need to integrate sustainability into our core business so we need to educate our own organizations right and really integrate it into everything we do so sustainability is a perspective 
everything we do, but we also have the knowledge in the organization so they know what it actually means from when they're supposed to think about it. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's the hard part as well, because we all have different things that we think of when we talk about sustainability. Uh, different things come, on, come into our heads. And that's why we tried to focus first and primarily on what does sustainability mean for Vitrolife? And now we're trying to educate our organization and spread the message and find all the different places where we need to integrate it even further. So it's a good example, Chip. How do you, so, how do you, bring, how do you bring consciousness of sustainability up in the decision-making matrix within an organization, right? So you start in the top. 20th, but it's second or third or, or first in terms of just what your decision-making matrix is, because it's usually way, way down. I mean, particularly um, if you're talking to physicians in an IVF practice, and I'm not gonna throw physicians under the bus terribly today, if you're talking about them as as sort of the financial leaders of those organizations, how do you convince them that it's worth the money to do it? And I think that was what I was trying to hopefully get across is that it has to make sense financially for that it has to be, that priority has to work on that, not just the, the nice human level, which of course motivates me deeply to make decisions, but not everyone. I think as well, though, if it's what the people want, like if it's what the clinics want, then it puts pressure on the suppliers and then it will automatically like trickle up the chain. And because then it will be like a financial benefit to them. A financial business decision based on a marketplace, right? And I think that's also the issue like in the clinics, like probably in our clinic as well. Like it's not really seen as, I suppose, like a top priority to the the top dogs. to to go eco-friendly because there's not enough like pressure from the patients it's just like something that some of us like are passionate about within the clinic so it's kind of like also about like changing the mindsets of the people and like I guess one way to do that is through money you know like to focus on like the money saving aspects of it but most of this stuff is demonstrably cash saving money saving yeah it really is just taking stuff and throwing it away uh it is impugning yourself as an embryologist to say well, you can be better with your pipette use. You're, you're wasting our money because you're throwing away pipettes needlessly. 19, we could cut that, you know. So, I mean, but it doesn't matter if it, if it achieves the same result, that's what you want, right? I think it's risk mitigating as well, if we take it in a bigger perspective again. Using all these plastics in all these different appliances, if the world is really going to reach the circularity goal, this needs to change. And the hard thing for us in this business uh, or industry is that changes like that takes several years to implement. So we really need to start now and be ahead of the legislators. Otherwise, we risk ending up in a really tricky situation uh, where we can't find the right suppliers. We don't have the right types of plastics because they will be phased out in three years' time. But change products for us will take five years. Hopefully, that will be, won't be like that. But there's still a, a risk mitigating part in this from a risk business perspective as well. Is your job quite quite unique as it were in this like industry i found you through linkedin and i, and I thought it was quite unique you, you know your title have you been there many years and what kind of resistance do you get in the company 
Or would you say that it's it's quite easy to convince them that this is the way to go? I've only worked for one year in vitro life. Uh, and I think, I don't know, but I think uh, in the industry, yes, it might be a b- little bit unique still uh, to have a sustainability specialist. Uh, but uh, the reason why I actually went into vitro life uh, was that they had the responsible person for sustainability in the top management. Uh, that's kind of the, uh, the silver lining that I hold on to when I talk to companies that it has to be in top management. Otherwise, I will struggle too much. I won't have effect for the things that I want to do. Uh, so that's, I think that is also one thing connected to what Chip talked about. You really need to have the top management, the highest level, uh, aware, at least parts of the top management, because there will always be resistance. But then at least you can find uh, enough space or enough time uh, and also the, the right. I, I can arrange the meetings to convince them, uh, the non-believers. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's fascinating because not many companies have that, and I think he's created a role all for himself. In the second part of our chat, we invited Ricard again from Vitrolife to join us in a different time zone, and we had Anna join us, who I found through LinkedIn. What happened was she was commenting on some of our posts, and I discovered that she was interested and, in fact, was studying sustainability. We rejoin the after party with Jacques asking Anna what she's planning to do in her role and how she feels about there being more sustainability officers in clinics. What's your next step here? What do you think if you, so listening to this, and of course you've been thinking a lot about this subject and will continue to do so. What, so what are you going to do within your IVF functions? What how are you gonna, your, your, I mean, I think shouldn't every IVF, IVF lab has, you know, you can't have higher special sustainability officer, but we assign uh, certain projects like quality control officer to somebody who is already an embryologist. Mm-hmm. That's that's their assignment. Don't you think there should be somebody in each lab who should be now a sustainability um, officer? Well, of course, it's uh, not, not every clinic, not every lab can afford it. <laughs> Uh, it makes sense, yes, uh, as uh, Giles, I think, mentioned, uh, if there are agencies, like it's, uh, it's, it can be a good idea to uh, organize some kind of uh, co- consulting agency that would give some advice uh, uh, to clinics. If it's, a, if it's a big clinic, if it's a big group of clinics with branches in I guess in the US there are many like that that have uh, uh, branches around the country. So yeah, probably it makes sense because it's not just not just only about lab operation, plastic, no plastic, less tubes, smaller oh, tubes. No, it's no, no. it's uh, about all the aspects of running the clinic. It's about uh, also it's about communicating your values your vision it's uh, it can it can be a big deal and for personally for me it's a big motivation to um for further development uh in uh in this area and uh, i currently i'm not associated with any clinic uh but if i go back to lab i would definitely bring these uh, thoughts these approaches i will 
try to speak out and to bring it, uh, to bring more attention to this subject. And sometimes, yes, um, as I saw in the comments there, people mentioned, oh, it's about money. It's uh, just um, in, incre increasing costs, but no, in the perspective, yes, it's some investment, but it's, uh, it's pretty fast with, um, it can bring benefits and actually, as far as I'm aware, many business, many banks now make assessment for businesses to give better conditions for loans. So it's it's a big deal. I hope it will develop. My last question, is there any like mandatory thing that, let's say not clinics, but all the companies that we have to work for, is there like a limit like it's 2030 when they have to get their act together? Isn't there something like that or not? I think it will be sooner than that. Uh, if we just look at Europe, we have uh, the EU taxonomy. Uh, that impacts mainly large companies today, but it will put demands on every actor on the market uh, in sorts of reporting and so forth. There's also movements in the investor market uh, where the investors need reporting from us, as an example. And if, if we're going to report on CO2 emissions uh, in a complete sense, uh, which many actors are doing or trying to do, we are one of them. Uh, we need to get data as well from clinics and uh, other actors on the market in some ways. And if we only take the sustainability reporting perspective, what everybody should do, uh, we can see both in uh, Europe, but in other parts of the world as well, that uh, they are trying the legislators to put pressure on every actors. Uh, one legislative suggestion uh, that should be uh, already from 2023 today is to put every company with more than 10 employees to do a sustainability report, mm. how they impact the uh, their um, environment, social aspects. Mm. I mean, that's very interesting. That's, that's really interesting, especially in the point that, um, that you could work with clinics. The mm. clinical aspects are important because patient movement, you know, mm. you know, in the United States, they come back every other day, you know, to, to do what, to do follicular ultrasound. You can do that at home if you set it up. Let small startup companies develop that you can do all of that at home. All, all these interactions, either you use an app or occasionally you'll, you'll, you'll dial up. A lot of it can be done at home. Really only one or two clinic visits are necessary. So I think I think covering the clinical aspects all the way from retrieval to uh, you know daily, particularly daily monitoring follicular stimulation. I think we should talk, we should have um, debates about that and get, and get some people who have thought about that. I think that's the next step because I think we're focusing on styrofoam boxes you know they've saved 900 in Australia. Okay, it's a start but it's it's nothing it's nothing. I mean if you see the patient for six uh, seven attempts surrounded by all those syringes and that was a truthful uh, um, um, you know uh, basically linear is what happened to this patient over all these treatments I think that's where it is 
I mean, it's a massive amount of stuff going on. So we're focusing some maybe a little bit too much. I think common sense is working out here, right? So if you, if we listen to all of you, including Danny and Roshin and Emma yesterday, it's really common sense. And you know already enough about what, what, what you need to do to accomplish something. But I think in the medical area, there's such a sad way of doing things. You know, these people who really believe that you need to see a patient every other day in, in the office and, and, uh, and do what? Uh, you know, get blood and uh, do ultrasound. I think that mechanism is basically, should be AI driven, which people are working on that, and, uh, and, and locational home ultrasound and see your accurate retrieval. Maybe we'll do that remotely too one day. I don't know how you would do that, but hopefully <laughs> it's a ridiculous system. So let, let's invite the physicians and the nurses and, and see how we can change that. Brilliant. Well, thank you all again. Anna, thanks a lot for stepping in as well. Yeah, um, thank you. Ricard, thank brilliant. you for invitation. Thank you. Have a nice Goodbye. day. See you soon. Thanks again for listening. Do make sure that you subscribe to the i3 podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if possible, we'd love you to leave a review. Be sure to visit ivfmeeting.com where you can watch our back catalogue of webinars. Plus, you can sign up for future ones, download our electronic membership card and find all our social media so we can stay in touch.